good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah, I love the 11. The 11 o'clock is the wake. Uh, so my name is Tanya. If I haven't met you, my husband Adam and I lead this church together. And usually he's up here speaking and he introduces me with an adjective. Like every time he said, I'm like, my name is just Tanya. It's not my beautiful wife, Tanya, my lovely wife, Tanya, my smart wife, Tanya. There's a dream team member uh, here that like we joke back and forth, like whatever today's adjective is going to be. I got a double adjective one week, which was super awesome. It was like my wonderful, incredible wife, Tanya. I was like double. But uh, this is uh, me getting able to brag about my lovely, adorable, uh, amazing husband, Adam. He's not here. He's speaking for friends of ours up in Bangor at the Pines Church. Um, we've mentioned them before. Pastor Matt's actually been up here um, preaching for us before. And so it's super cool to have a friend in ministry, not just a friend in ministry, but a friend who's like literally walking the same road that you walked a few years prior. And so I remember we've talked about this before, but uh, the first time that we met them, they were moving from Colorado. They're they are, and we were, what's considered a parachute launch. And so that's when you literally just drop into a city. You don't know anybody. You're just parachuting in. Um, and so that's exactly what the Joyas did. And so we were so excited, though, because there's not many church plants that are happening in Maine. They're starting, we're starting to hear about more and more coming. I just heard about another one coming uh, to Portland this uh, past week. I heard about it. Um, and we're so excited about it. There's no territory here. We moved from the Midwest uh, where there was some territory. There was some like church turf, which was so weird to me. Um, but that's like empire building, not kingdom building. And so we're here to build a kingdom, not an empire. And so we're excited when we hear about churches coming. And so uh, we're able to help them get some rest. Um, so Pastor Matt's out of town. So Adam is up there speaking for them. We were able to just come back from our week of rest, and so we were able to trust one of our friends in ministry with our church last week, uh, John Weller. If you guys weren't here, definitely check out the podcast. Um, you can find that on our website, refugemain.church/messages, um, because he, I've heard amazing things about it. I actually didn't even text people to find out how church went because I was so confident. There was a day uh, years ago, shortly after the refuge started, that I'd be like watching the clock and I'm like, church is starting, like ready for a text message. And then like texting right after church and being like, how was it? Did everything? This, this week we're on vacation and it was just like, I know our dream team is amazing. Our coaches crush it. John came and crushed it. And so we were so grateful to be able to just call a friend and be like, hey, you want to speak? And not just a friend that like comes in from another church, but somebody from in-house. And so that's super cool for us. Adam and I, when, when we got married, um, we got pregnant three months after we got married. And so then nine months later, you have a baby. And so that's 12 months from your wedding. And so the first time we left our new baby with a babysitter was to go celebrate our first uh, anniversary dinner. And so that was the fastest dinner we ever had. But the dinner that, uh, that we went to, we left uh, Anna with a babysitter that we trusted. And so it was actually the pastor's wife that we worked for. We lived on kind of this like compound. We lived in a parsonage behind the church. They lived in a parsonage next to the church. And so like we, we did life with them. And so we were like very confident in leaving Anna with her. Um, but we still, you know, were anxious to get back. And so that was us this past week. We were very confident in leaving the church with John Weller, um, but we were anxious to get back. So 
Adam did want me to tell you guys hello. I know he's going to listen to the podcast and check that I actually said hello. You know, sometimes when like you go see someone, they're like, oh, give him a hug for me. I'm not a hugger to begin with. And so if you tell me to give somebody a hug for you, I'm like, that means two hugs. Because I can't be like, oh, this is from Sally. And there's none from me because I'm not a hugger. You have to give two hugs and be like, this is from Sally. This is from me. So Adam said last night, he was like, will you please make sure you tell the church hi and that I miss them and I love them. So message has been delivered. So I do have to announce a very important announcement uh, for all of our youth. We're not doing, this is a reminder, but I know with husbands and with kids, you have to tell them multiple times. There's no youth this Saturday. So we are going to pick back up for September, but there is no youth this week. If you come on Saturday night, you're going to be like tugging on a locked door. So there'll be no youth. Make sure you like DM and snap and text and whatever, carrier pigeon your friends to let them know that you can't come to church on Saturday. Um, So we are starting a new series. I'm super excited to be able to actually kick off a new series. So usually when I speak, it's just kind of like these one-off messages that is just like a solo thing, like uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, like just write a message about this one thing. Well, to be able to complete a full thought over the course of a month is really kind of a treat. And so when we were talking about what we were going to do for like looking ahead on the calendar, I told Adam, I was like, just whatever new series we're starting, like I'll, I'll just... I'll handle it. And so we sat down uh, before last week when we took off our vacation and just kind of laid out what the series was going to be, scriptures we were going to use, what the series title was, all of that stuff that goes into making a series. We got to sit together and do that, which was really fun. And so the new series today is called True Satisfaction. And so we were able to kind of lay out what this looks like. And we pull all of this out of Galatians 5. But the, the week one topic is being satisfied in your call. That's what I'll be talking about today. Next week, Adam's going to be here and he'll be talking about being satisfied in your freedom. The week after that, he'll be talking about being satisfied in your love. And the following week will be gifts of satisfaction. But all of this talk about satisfaction this past week um, made me have one song stuck in my head. This has probably been like two weeks, honestly, that I've had this song stuck in my head. Does anybody, can anybody guess what the song is? Yes, I can't get no satisfaction. So I've like, I've had Alexa in the kitchen playing it. I've been like listening to it, like driving. And Adam's like, seriously, I'm like, I just can't get no. So I ended up looking up. I was like, what's like the history of that song? So it's actually super cool. What happened was back in 1965, Keith Richards, when he would go to bed, he would put a a cassette player recorder next to his bed which, I mean, that's, that's vintage, right? Uh, it was funny, this week while we were out of town, uh, we, we rented a cabin, so we were just kind of like on the lake for the week, and our camp uh, cabin that we rented this year was next door to the one that we rented last year. So last year, the campsite that we had had a VCR, or sorry, had a DVD player. And this year's cabin only had a VHS. And so... Um, Graham, we, my kids brought the DVD book because they're like, you know, there's going to be a rainy day this week, so we'll just like watch movies, whatever. And so Graham like pulls out the DVD book and 
he's like looking at the machine, like the VCR, and he's like, where does this, and he literally, I have a video on my phone, because I was just like, this is awesome. He's struggling so hard, and I'm just gonna watch. So he's like hitting every single button, and then he found like a little flip down, he's hitting all those buttons. He literally took the DVD and like, slid it into like the box where the, v, uh, the VHS tape would go. And he's like, this isn't, this isn't a DVD player. And I was like, no, it is not. I've known that for the last like five minutes and I just watched you struggle. And so, so cassette players, for those who don't know, this was like pre-MP3, pre-like, you know, digital music. This is actually like a tape. And so when it comes unwound, you need a pencil, right, to, like, yeah. save the day. And so anyways, Keith Richards goes to bed with a cassette player next to the bed. And he does this. This is, like, his regular thing. I don't know if any of you guys wake up with ideas in the middle of the night. I've done it before that I, like, jot things down on the Notes app on my phone. And so Keith puts a new tape in and then goes to bed. And he wakes up in the morning, and the tape is full. And he's like, what the heck happened? And so he rewinds it, listens back to the tape, and it's the opening riff of that song. Dun, 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 over and over again. And then he starts to hear himself sleepily sing, I can't get no satisfaction. Yep, over and over again. And then the tape ends with about 40 minutes of him snoring. So he woke up with the concept of the song, recorded it really quick, fell back asleep, has no recollection, wakes up and listens back to it. And that's how I Can't Get No Satisfaction was born. And so he brings it over to Mick Jagger. They collaborate. They write the rest of the song. And this ends up being the Rolling Stones, one of their uh, top number ones. And so uh, looking up about this song, it says um, that the song's lyrics reflect the frustration and discontent with the consumerism and the media-driven society of the time, which that's hilarious to me. The media-driven society of the 60s was brutal. Um, it, it became the anthem of rebellion and the symbol of the counterculture movement of the 1960s. So even back then, with the media-driven society and the, the uh, com consumerism, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, they knew that you still... There's no satisfaction in stuff. It doesn't matter how much you acquire, how much you can achieve. It's still not going to bring satisfaction. Paul actually knew this before Mick Jagger knew it. Um, and so in Galatians, Paul actually addresses this. Galatians 5.13, and this is actually going to be the scripture that we'll camp out on for this series. It's, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And so when Adam and I are sitting talking over this scripture and just kind of like trying to divide what we think the layout for this series is going to look like, um, he said, so what's the most important thing that you see in this scripture? And I was like, well, that, you know, you've been called to live in freedom, so the freedom, you know, serve one another. So it's about service. It's about doing. He's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Let's go all the way back. For you have been called. So if you gloss over, you just cruise right past the fact that you've been called, it doesn't matter that you have freedom. It doesn't matter that you're called to use that freedom to serve one another. You've got to first lay the groundwork, lay the foundation of the fact that you have been called. And so that's what we're talking about today. It's the fact that we have been called. Our big idea for today is that true satisfaction comes from being called, not having freedom. 
just like Mick and Keith knew, like there's nothing you can have. There's nothing you can acquire. Even freedom that we've been given, that's not going to bring the true satisfaction. The true satisfaction comes from the fact that we are called. And so that's kind of like a churchy word, like being called. And so I want to unpack that for you today. Like what does that exactly mean to be called? The word that they use here, uh, the Greek word actually means to invite to call somebody in. I love the way that British people, the, the way that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards said, uh, like instead of saying, what's your name? They'll say, what are you called? What, like, what is your identity? Who are you? And so if we're gonna think about our calling. We're gonna think about who are you? What is your identity? So in Galatians, Paul is addressing this. There's a church in Galatia. It's a newly established church, kind of like a church plant. And so he's poured his heart into this. He has a relationship with these people. And so when we're reading the epistles, what um, these are actually letters that are being written to these churches, these newly established churches. And so what's happening in this uh, book is that Paul's got a relationship with the church in Galatia. And so he's hearing about some things that are happening that's like, totally counter what he had taught them to begin with. And so he's writing them to correct it. I saw a thing on uh, Instagram this week that said, if Paul saw the American church today, we'd all be getting a letter. Like there's some things that you're like, that is so far from what like God teaches and like God's desire for the church. Like it's time to write a letter. And so Paul had written a letter to the Romans. That's the book of Romans. um, And It's kind of more like a diplomatic letter, if you read kind of the tone of that book, is because he didn't have this like close relationship with them. But he has it with uh, the church in Galatia. And so he writes this kind of like a father that's talking to a child that's like, what are you doing? Like, that's not who you are. That's not what we're about, all the things that I've taught you. And so what's actually happening here is that there was a group of Jews that came and told these new believers that, you know, their salvation, their faith, actually a big part of that relied on keeping the rules, keeping the law. And so for them, the law was the Torah. The Torah are the five first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so actually when boys were training um, under a rabbi, they would memorize the entire Torah. And so these Jews are convincing these Galatians that they need to actually also be keeping, like your, your faith in Jesus is great, but you also need to be making sure that you're keeping all these rules. And so some of the rules from the Torah, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, I love the Old Testament. Um, I didn't develop a love for the Old Testament until I started doing the Bible recap a few years ago. The New Testament is written with the understanding that the reader had the same love and understanding of the Old Testament as the writers of the New Testament. And so if you just kind of skip over the Old Testament because you're like, there's some weird stuff that I don't understand, then you're really missing a lot of the depth of the New Testament. And so in the Old Testament, there's some books that I said at last service, I'm going to say again, it's whack. Like it's like Leviticus. There's some rules in Leviticus that's just like, I don't even, I don't even get that. There's a book. I can't think of the name of the book. Um, it's written by, it's not a Christian book. It's a New York Times author that he, uh, The Year of Living Biblically, that's what it's. I've not read it. I read the summary, so don't go and read it on my recommendation. But the summary is hilarious. So this guy, this New York Times writer, um, decides that he's going to live according to Old Testament law. And so he spends a year keeping Old Testament law. And so even like the really weird 
Old Testament laws, he kept it. Um, so some of these rules that the Jews were trying to convince this church in Galatia that they needed to keep were like um, being circumcised. And so there are these grown men in Galatia that become new converts, become new believers in Jesus, that then are told, well, you know, it's not complete until you've actually also been circumcised. And so they're going ahead and going under the knife to complete that rule. And then um, they need to also remember the Sabbath. And so they need to not do any work. I mean, they got it down to like, you can't spit. This is like, you can't spit on the ground because that creates mud and creating mud can also be used to create bricks. And that would be labor. So you can't even spit on the ground. You have to spit on a rock. Like there, it just gets out there. Um, they also needed to make sure that they were eating kosher. And so that's something that we're aware of, like with our Jewish friends. And, but for them, it was my, my faith, my salvation, everything that I do matters only because of the rules that I keep, of the laws that I follow, of the legalistic ways that I've been told that I need to pursue. And so that's what's happening to this church. And so Paul hears about it, brokenhearted. He writes them this letter to uh, correct them and to let them know that what you're doing is you've actually replaced God's grace, his gift, with your efforts, with your flesh. And so this comes down to walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. And that's what I'm going to unpack for you guys today is spirit versus flesh. Paul addresses this in Galatians 2. He says, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have, been, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Justified is not really a word that we use nowadays. I remember learning the word as a little girl in church, and the way that it was explained was to be justified is to be made right. And so when God looks at you, when you've been justified, it's just if I'd never sinned. And so when God looks at you, when you've put your faith in Jesus, when you've surrendered your flesh to the spirit, you are looked at as the work that Jesus did on the cross. You've been justified. And that is, he tells us it's not the works of the law. It's not anything about the Torah. It's not anything about uh, what you've been told. We've all kind of had different voices in our life that have maybe kind of confused us when it came to our faith. And so we think that maybe like this is great, but I also have to be baptized or else it's not legit. And I also have to serve and I also can't miss church ever. And I'm not here like telling you guys like go do whatever you want. When you are walking in the spirit, what you want to do is serve. What you want to do is make a public declaration of faith. What you want to do is spend your time at the foot of the cross and worshiping him. It's that you're not doing it by your own power. It's that your spirit comes alive. And so this is what Paul is trying to correct and let the people know that when they trust in Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. Galatians 2.20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that you are no longer your boss. You are no longer the one who's in charge, who's steering the ship. You are allowing Christ to be alive in you. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to dissect this um, 
first verse that we had talked about in being called and then having freedom. And so we're going to kind of talk about them as two separate things. So being called, this is the foundation of everything that we're going to be talking about for the next month. It's so important to understand your calling. Your calling is your identity. And so if what's true of Jesus becomes what's true of us. We can read through scripture and see things that it says, I am, whether it's talking about Jesus or it's talking about us as new believers, and know that they are interchangeable. So we have talked a lot about uh, Grace Life International. This is Mark Malding. He had come, um, spoken to us. Adam and I both do counseling through Grace Life. And what actually had happened was that I saw the change happening in my husband um, and just the ways that... Um, it's replaced old ways of thinking. It's replaced um, lies that we've believed as kids growing up in the church. Um, and just the change in him became the change in our church. And so I was like, I want in on that. Like, I want to be a part of that. And so I asked about getting uh, set up with a counselor through Grace Life. And so I met someone. Her name is Debbie Haynes. She's amazing. She's got uh, this sweet Southern accent. And she's like just bless your heart. And so I love like when I, I have a friend that has the same counselor. And so like, it's the best to like, guess what Debbie said to me today. And then you got to do it in the Debbie voice. And so there's been times as like, she's totally blown my mind. And um, like, she's seeing me get it. And like the lights are turning on and like, I'm like getting excited and telling her. And she's like, that's so good. That's so good. Um, but one of the things she did was she gave me this worksheet, and it's all these I am scriptures. And so I actually went through, and this is 62. I've got 62 I am scriptures, um, but this is only because of, like, my mental capacity, like, of my attention span. They're, the Bible is full of these. Um, I brought the list that I had written down for counseling because if anybody is struggling with their identity, if anybody is struggling just to know exactly who it is that you are, what you're calling um, is as far as your identity, um, I would be happy to share these with you. But I'm just going to read just a few of them. So if what's true of Jesus is what's true of me. That means that we are never alone. Joshua 1.9, we are strong, Psalm 1832. We're guaranteed victory, um, Psalm 1835. John 1.2 tells us we're a child of God. John 15.15 15 tells us we're his friend. Romans 5.1, we're made right. 1 Corinthians 1.30, we're pure and holy. 1 Corinthians 3.16, we're a temple of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're a new person. We're chosen, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're loved and seen without fault in his eyes. We're his masterpiece. We're righteous and holy. We're a citizen of heaven. We're filled with power, love, and self-discipline. I have to remind myself daily that I do have self-discipline. There's times where I'm like, oh, I, I can't do that. I don't have self-discipline. That's not what this says. <laughs> Scripture tells us that we, we're not given a spirit of fear. We're given a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. Uh, we are his holy priests. We're a temporary resident and foreigner. Does anybody ever feel just not settled in this world? As you watch kind of the, the spiral of the world and just kind of the way that things are trending, you're just like, I just, it just doesn't feel right. I just, I'm just so unsettled here. You're supposed to be unsettled here. This isn't your home. This isn't what we're working to accomplish. This isn't, this isn't the end for us. This is just the beginning. 
And so the things that are true of Jesus are the things that are true of us. This is, this is the stuff we need to come back to. This is the stuff that we need to remind us of. When we begin to listen to lies, when we begin to believe maybe that we're not worthy, that we aren't enough, that we're alone, that we have to do this on our own, you need to go back to scriptures like this to remind yourself exactly who it is that we are. So being called, that's about our identity. The second part of our identity is all about his affection. And this is a concept that I actually never heard this preached before. Um, I read it actually this week while I was on vacation, and it just like rocked my world. And I had to like incorporate it into this message because it was so profound for me. And it's that God's love for Jesus is equal to his love of me. I've always known that God loves me, but I've never known that he loves me as much as he loves Jesus. I got this out of this book, The Awe of God. It's by John Bevere. Um, and I had actually first listened to a podcast um, that John Bevere was on, and he was talking about um, just the fear of God, that we've kind of gotten away from the holy fear of God. And so he was telling this story about um, a, a man who, in the 80s, he had a really large ministry, um, had a moral failing, long story short, ends up in jail. His name is Jim Baker, if anybody remembers him. And so Jim Baker's in prison. He reads a John Bevere book. This is like years ago. Um, and calls and asks for uh, John Bevere to come and visit him. And so John's kind of like nervous, a little apprehensive. Like he knows Jim Baker's story but doesn't know him personally. And so he goes to visit him. And they, they meet for a while, talk about whatever John's book was at the time. And then uh, Jim says to him, so do you have any questions for me? And John Bevere was like, yeah, I just... I." with everything that happened, like I'm starting my ministry now, I'm focusing on, I want to finish well. And so with your story, at what point in your story did you fall out of love with Jesus? And Jim Baker looked at him and he kind of laughed and he said, I never fell out of love with Jesus. I still love Jesus. I lost my fear of God. And that kind of started this whole book for, for John. He had to, he had to go and repent because the pendulum can kind of swing really far of like, so if you're loved and you're accepted and you're already forgiven, we kind of like begin to walk in this liberty and forget that there is holy fear that we need to have of God. And so actually one of the chapters in this book, this isn't even part of my message, but one of the chapters in this book was about um, the, the presence of God. And so we know that like the scripture tells us where two or three are gathered in his name, that he's there. And we know that. We know that to be true. Scripture tells us that. But there's also a manifest presence of God. And the manifest presence of God, think about it uh, back in the temple. He, the uh, priest couldn't go into the holiest of holies unless it was once a year. They had to go and atone for all the sins of the people. But the manifest presence of God was only present where the fear of God was present. The, the priests actually tied a rope to their ankle because if they uh, had, hadn't been atoned for correctly, if they hadn't gone, kind of gone through the ritual before they entered into the holiest of holies, they'd be struck dead. And so nobody can go in and retrieve the body. They're not going to let it sit till the next year's priests can like kick it out. They just drag them out with a rope. And there was actually a bell tied to the bottom of their robe. So if they heard the bell stop, they knew that something happened. And so the manifest presence of God, it resides where the fear of God is. And so in this book, this concept about God's love um, being equal for Jesus as it is for me, I want to read you what I had read. This is in Matthew uh, 
he says, what profit is it to a man that if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Consider for a moment all the wealth in the world. Consider the multi-million dollar mansions, beautiful properties, gems, precious metals, fine cars, yachts, and planes. It's almost unimaginable. Recent studies establish that the gross world product to be $84.97 trillion. That's an inconceivable amount of money. Yet Jesus tells us that if you were to exchange your life for all of it, you've made an unprofitable deal. And so this week while we were gone, um, when I, so I'm a, like a task person. And so I don't like sit still well. And so I brought um, some string, like floss, the colored string with me. Um, if you guys remember like going to camp as a kid, like you make the friendship bracelets. And I was like, I just need to have something to do. So I brought string with me to make bracelets and I haven't done it in years. And so uh, we go and we have a rainy day and making bracelets. And because I'm almost 40, like I'm not going to have pass them out to my friends because that'd be weird. Um, but I was just doing something to keep myself occupied. And so my son uh, sees one of the bracelets and he's like, what you got there? It's, it's kind of nice. Can I have that? And I was like, you can buy it because <laughs> he's fun to mess with. Uh, so he's like, all right, like I'll give you a dollar for it. So this, this string costs 60 cents and I probably use like a third of it. So the value of the, the bracelet's like 20 cents. So, like, it's a good little profit to, to get a dollar for it. And my mom is there, and she likes to screw with him as much as I do. So she's like, I'll give you $2 for it. And Graham is like, I'll give you $3 for it. And so then we started an auction. And so I sold this bracelet, this 20-cent bracelet to my son for $10. It was actually $12, but he didn't want to break his other 10 So, like, I let him have it. Great deal. I let him have it for $10. So this, it's an unprofitable deal, right? So he spent $10. He loves the bracelet, by the way. Um, he spent $10 on this bracelet that the value is 20 cents, if that. I mean, I'm not even that great at making bracelets. So the craftsmanship is not that great. Um, so we're going to get back into this. So I have a point with this. So what is your value? Paul writes, God bought you with a high price. 1 Corinthians 6.20, God's bid for you. He's, his set price is found on these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God saw that our value was equal to his most prized possession. Here's the amazing truth. If we have been worth one penny less to God than the value of Jesus, then this exchange wouldn't have been made. For God in all his wisdom would not make an unprofitable deal, which would be giving something of more value for something of less value. Does that help you to grasp how precious you are to him? And so, yes, like this book is great, but I still need to compare it back to scripture, right? This isn't the book that we teach from. The book that we teach from is the word of God. And so Jesus actually confirms this. He says in John 17, 23, and he's talking to God, the father, and says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me, you love them as much as you love me. The price that God is willing to pay for you, that he did pay for you, was the price of his son. A profitable deal, a valuable deal, equal value, the exchange. And so that is your calling. You can choose to live in that. You can choose to operate in the spirit and just know that 
the exchange that was made when I say, you know what, God, I can't do enough. I can't be enough. I can't get no satisfaction. I need you. I need to just surrender it all. I'm just putting my trust in Jesus, and I'm letting him take the wheel, like Carrie Underwood said. I didn't mean to do that. It just happened. So what happens, though, is I'm talking to a room of people that probably at some point have put their trust in Jesus, but we can still fall into the flesh. We can still fall into striving and achieving and doing, and so my flesh looks like um, perfectionism. My flesh looks like uh, bitterness or critical eye and critical heart. My flesh can look like judgmentalism. My flesh can look like this impossibly high standard for other people that I don't hold myself to. And so, but if I'm going to justify it, by my own way, I'll say, yes, but it's because I want things to be right for the church. It's because I want people to come in and everything's perfect because, like, I just I don't want it to be wrong because I don't want them to go somewhere else because I don't know what's happening at the church down the road. I know that the message that we have here is good and it's sound and it's filled with God's truth. And so, like, I need to do everything that I can to keep people here and keep people happy. And it actually, it would demolish me on early years of the church when people left because of whatever reason, I would take it personally. Like I didn't do enough that I didn't make, create this atmosphere or maybe we said something that offended them and, and so it comes back to me and to what I'm doing and to my, my behavior, my flesh. And so I have to understand that it's about my calling, it's about my identity first, and then it's about my freedom. Adam's going to unpack freedom so much more for you next week, but just to kind of hit the tip of the iceberg with freedom. Freedom is about my efforts and his power. So we talked about calling. Calling is my identity and his affection. Freedom is my efforts and his power. So when I am living in freedom, I have the ability to make choices. Slaves don't have freedom. Slaves don't get to make choices. We are free and we have the ability to make a choice. So I'm able to choose every day if I'm going to do things by my own effort or if I'm going to do things by his power, if I'm going to not even do things, if I'm just going to be, I'm just going to allow him to work, to work all things for good, for his glory. And that's living in the spirit. I'm not the first one who's had this opportunity to choose. Adam and Eve actually had this very same opportunity. We see that in Genesis 2.9. It says, The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so they had two choices. And so you're like, okay, yeah, but you're talking flesh and spirit. These trees actually represent flesh and spirit. So we're looking at the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and this is all flesh. This is the achieving system. This is about self-sufficiency. This is about independence. But what happens here is that there's a bondage to sin and self because it's all relying on me. I've got to do more. I've got to be better. I've got to top myself from last time. This is all about keeping the law. This is about achievements. What happens here is spiritual death. This is a do-to-be mentality. This says that my behavior determines who I am. I'm a good person. Are you a good person because of being good? 
doing good deeds? Are you a good person because you are living in the spirit and you're accepting that Jesus was the only one who is truly good? And then when God looks at you, you're justified through him and he's seeing you as good. That's what it looks like to live in the spirit. The tree of life is the one that represents the spirit. This is a receiving system. It's really hard to receive things, especially if you're a doer. We did a, uh, years ago before um, Easter, we did, we called it a gas buy down. And so we offset the, offset the price of gas to make it a dollar a gallon. Uh, we did this up at, I think it was the mobile up across from um, where Stockhouse is now. And so there were people lined down the road to get gas. People were calling the gas station. They were like, is gas really a dollar a gallon? And so what happened was we gave a couple thousand dollars to the gas station. People would come, like people line up for a dollar a gallon. And while we're pumping their gas for them, we're inviting them to church. We're inviting them to Easter. And so this is, it's not free, but people felt the need to actually pay the difference. Like people are giving donations and we're like, this is not, you don't have to do anything. You just receive it. It's just a gift. And people could not, like we ended up with money because of trying to give away money. People can't just receive. That's what it looks like to live in the spirit. You are able to just receive. And so this requires us to be dependent, not celebrating our independence, but celebrating our dependence on Christ. This is where freedom and victory is actually found. This is grace received and life eternal. And so if the flesh is about do to be, the spirit is about be to do. This means that my identity in Christ is what determines my behavior. And so it's, it can be really hard um, to recognize flesh. Sometimes flesh looks evil. That's how I always thought of flesh. If you read in scripture and it talks about flesh, you're like, well, yeah, that's like flesh is like when somebody makes me mad and I like punch them in the face because I'm like working in my flesh, right? I'm not as hood as I sound when I preach. But anyways, that's, that's just what came to mind. Um, so when you read through scriptures and you read about flesh, you're like, okay, yeah, those are, the, those are the bad things. That's the evil. But there's also good looking flesh. And so... The tree of knowledge of good and evil, what this actually looks like is the knowledge of how to do good and not appear evil. This is the most dangerous kind of flesh that we can have. It's anything that I can do to gain acceptance from God and others. It's trying to achieve, trying to perform to gain his acceptance. This is one problem that has a variety of symptoms. So the good-looking flesh might look totally different for you than it does for me. Maybe somebody doesn't struggle. My husband doesn't struggle with perfectionism. He's like, oh, good enough. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's not alphabetical order. Like, I have to fix it. Like, that, that's still working in my flesh, the perfectionism, the striving to achieve, to make it right. And it's not for anybody else, but just because that's how it's got to be. And so we can see a few examples in scripture of what well-adjusted flesh looked like. The rich young ruler in Luke 18, he comes to Jesus and he says, what can I do to inherit the kingdom? What can I do to enter heaven? And Jesus, knowing that he's trying to do, he's trying to operate in the flesh, he says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the verse goes on to tell us that he actually went away sad because he was very rich. He had so much, he wanted to do something to inherit eternal life, and he couldn't even do what he was asking to do. That is good-looking flesh. 
He wants to do something good. We also see it with the disciples. They had poor looking flesh. The disciples struggled. They were on the struggle bus. They, they failed time and time again. They failed to cast out demons, had to come back to Jesus and be like, I don't get it. It's not working. We did what you did. And Jesus tells them, you know, this, this kind of demon can only be um, cast out by praying and fasting. And then uh, walking on water, right? So Jesus calls Peter out of the boat and he comes and then he starts to sink because he lost his faith. And then we see the disciples, even in what they did as a trade, as fishermen, they're struggling to fish. And Jesus tells them, just cast the net on the other side of the boat. Like, I cast my pole on both sides of the boat this week on vacation, and I got five fish. I just had to throw that in there. Um, so, but the disciples are struggling to do. They had problems with their flesh. We see this actually with the Pharisees. This is the religious flesh. This is the legalistic flesh that was telling people, you're not allowed to spit on the ground because you'll create mud. We also see Moses had self-deprecating flesh. And so it may sound like humility, but what it actually is is a poor self-view in light of what God has done for you. So when God calls Moses to go um, to lead his people into the promised land, what does Moses say? Don't pick me, pick somebody else. I can't do it. Have somebody else speak for me. He has this self-deprecation. Samson had addictive flesh. We see he's indulgent. He's a womanizer. He's conceited, full of himself. King Saul had violent flesh. He was physically, emotionally, and verbally abusive. Martha, this looks great. She has, self, uh, she has other-centered flesh. So it might look like she's, she's striving, she's trying to do for Jesus, but what she's actually focused on instead of Jesus is her sister, that she's not doing and achieving and preparing like she is. She has relational idolatry. And so there's all different kinds of flesh. We could keep on going and talk about what it is that you're struggling and say, like, is this flesh or is this spirit? We know what the spirit looks like. We, we need to uncover the truth about what it looks like to be in flesh. John 15, 5 says, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we are not connected to him, it doesn't matter what we do. We will never be able to produce the fruit. When we're working in our flesh apart from him, we're never able to produce the fruit. However, when we're operating in the spirit, we can read that same scripture again and focus on the first part. John 15, 5, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are struggling to achieve. We are struggling to produce fruit by what we're doing. We don't have to do that. All we have to do here, it says, is remain in him. There's nothing else you can do. There's nothing that you need to do. The focus is on Jesus here. And all we need to do is abide as the branch. There are things in our lives that, that we know that we're, we're not right, right? That we struggle with. There's things in your history and in your past that you're ashamed of. And you're here maybe 
as a part of the flesh, that you're like, maybe I need to start going to church. I need to turn my life around. I need to start doing all these things. You don't need to do anything. All you need to do is just accept that there was a price that was paid for you, that you are loved and that you are valued and that you are seen as equal with Jesus. And so when we accept that, we allow Jesus's gift of dying on the cross for us, we're able to just rest in the spirit. And so even if you've made that decision, there are still days that we wake up and we begin to operate in our flesh. I challenge you to check yourself. Am I doing this with the right motives? Am I doing this by the power of the spirit, by the power of God, of just abiding in him and just being in him? Or am I trying to achieve? Am I trying to keep a list? Am I judging others for not keeping that list because I am uh, comparing myself to them? So we, we have the opportunity every week to pray for you, whether it's uh, struggles that you have going on in your life, or maybe there's things that I've said today that have kind of sparked something in you that you need to know more about, that you need to talk with somebody about. We have an area that we call Next Steps. It's off to your left. And so after the service, you can head into Next Steps. And we have the prayer team there. And these are people that are trained, that love you, um, that keep confidence, that just want the opportunity to walk alongside you. And what's so cool about that is, yeah, you can, you can take it to Jesus on your own. You can pray on your own. But when you have somebody else, it kind of just helps to lift that weight off you. It helps to, to carry the load. It's also somebody to follow up with you and say, hey, how are you doing with this struggle in the flesh? Or, hey, what's going on with your grandfather? I know that he was in the hospital this week. Like, what's the update? This is when we start to do life together. And this is the difference of church and community versus maybe just scrolling on the gram and finding a 60-second snippet of a pastor preaching. This is doing life together. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're all about. So if you stand with me, we're going to pray. And we're gonna use this song at the end of the message. We always end in the song, but we just wanna use this as an opportunity to respond. And so you don't even have to wait to the end of the message. Maybe there's something that I had said that kind of touches on your heart and that you're ready to respond now. Head over to Next Steps. They're gonna pop the door open and there's people there that are ready to pray with you. You can, you can go there at any time, but if you choose to stay here, just lean into this uh, song as we start to sing at the end of my prayer and use this as an opportunity to respond to whatever it is that God is echoing into your life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you just in, in the ways that you love us, Lord, that uh, the ways that you forgive us and how we continue to come time and time again back to you with the same things, Lord, that, that we're struggling with doing, with trying to achieve, with keeping laws, Lord. And uh, we've lost our holy fear of you, Lord. We just ask for forgiveness for that. We, we want to see your presence moving in this church, Lord, not so that, that we can build this empire, Lord, but we want to build your kingdom. It's not about us, Lord, that we are all about you and that we are all about your kingdom, Lord. And so we ask that as we go through the rest of this week, that you would just give us opportunities to stop and pause and, and ask, are we, are we operating in the flesh or are we operating in the spirit, Lord? We thank you for choosing us, for loving us, and for paying the highest price for our lives, Lord, through Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.